Greetings, Exponential family. Welcome back to The Hub. Uh, my name is Bill Kokenauer. I'm part of the Exponential team, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this time together. Um, at the beginning of this webinar series, this is the third of three, and at the beginning of the series, we were suggesting that you think about the last 14 months that we've experienced. It's, it's in some ways sort of this great reset. You know, a lot of us, uh, uh, most of us, perhaps uh, uh, almost all of us were in even our daily lives. There were some things that were taken away that were, uh, in a sense, uh, reset. And, uh, and while this has been a difficult uh, time for a lot of people, um, there is a sense that maybe there's a hidden gem in this great reset that or this great pause that is actually a great reset that God is doing. And so uh, we want to kind of lean into that. So now as we're we're beginning to see, you know, the CDC dropped uh, uh, the mandate for masks for vaccinated people. And I don't know where you live, but where I live, man, masks are coming down everywhere in pretty quickly. It's amazing how quickly. Uh, there, there's one of the uh, more can, unique masks. I can, I can finally get rid of my mask. You can get, you can, no, you ought to keep that one. That one you ought to keep. That's a keeper. That's a my keeper. youngest bell found that in a garage sale for two bucks. It's a lot of fun to do. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Uh, but it, it, again, as we're coming out of this, we don't, uh, I, I really do would caution us not to just go back to business as usual, go back to what, we knew 14 months ago and perhaps what you started to even lean into now, but, but really think if, if, if God is using as a time to reset the church, what is it that he wants us to learn? And, and that's really what we want. We were exploring in this go beyond webinar series with disciples made. And I want to introduce you to a couple of uh, my friends here. Uh, Rob Wegner, the man with the mask is the founder of the Casey underground and also part of the disciples made leadership team. Rob, good to have you with us again. It's good to see you, man. Good to see you, brother. So fun being together with you for uh, Exponential Ventures last week, man. That was that was a good that was a good event. Yeah, yeah, good to be there. And Brian Phipps, who is the founder of Disciples Made, um, good to have you back with us, Brian. And these guys are not just authors and thinkers; these are they're actually amazing practitioners. And I think that's an important thing for you to know as you're as you're hearing from them. This is not theory. This is things that that they've worked out um, in their lives. In fact, Brian, if you wouldn't mind, just you know, take a, a few quick moments here and give kind of a brief overview of Disciples Made, kind of the backstory and you know, how that even came about. Yeah, and you, you just said it, Bill, and you said it well. This is a ministry that was formed um, while I was actually a discipleship pastor, a small groups pastor in a prevailing model church here in Kansas City. We had a lot of small groups. We were adding a significant number of small groups to the system, but there was a point in time where Jesus said, you keep adding disciples, but you're not multiplying. And uh, in other words, he says, I keep giving you a multiplication symbol, but you keep twisting it back into an addition symbol. And I want to keep pushing it back to a multiplication symbol. You keep push, <laughs> pushing it back to a plus sign. It's like, I didn't really, I mean, I had gone and I'd heard the seminars like this. I had felt guilty in seminars like this. I felt uh, motivated in seminars like this, but I always went back and just defaulted back to what I knew. And I was pedaling hard and fast and as many of these things as I could. And yet I never got there, but there was a moment early on, Bill, at, uh, at, that, at that post where I had to focus only on discipleship. I got the privilege of that. No, didn't have to worry about any of the other elements. And that's when Jesus said, we're going to die on this hill. Mm -hmm. And that's when I, I'll, I'll get back to this word later. It's where I just kind of chose to repent of my inability to make the move from addition to multiplication sooner in my career. I was about 15 to 17 years into my professional ordained ministry at the time. But uh, we started to multiply and we multiplied a lot within that organization. We learned a lot about it. At the beginning of that phase, I told Jesus, if you will show me what to do, I'll do it and I'll take notes and I'll share it with others. And now that is a full-blown ministry, not-for-profit ministry that is um, that provides off-the-shelf tools that are internet-based that churches can subscribe to and use right out of the gate, as well as coaching and best practices to best facilitate those tools to get to disciple multiplication in their context. That's what we are. And hey, Bill, Brian, yeah. Brian won't say this out loud, but there's uh, multiple streams of disciples, probably 10, 15 generations deep in every direction out of his life. It's genuinely a movement of disciple making that involves thousands of people uh, who've been deeply transformed and multiplication's actually been normal, you know? So 
it's one of the more, when I moved to Kansas city and saw the story that it started before I ever got here, you know, through Brian's life, it was one of the more compelling pictures I've seen of the church in the West of both multiplicative and transformative discipleship. So, and then, then I was like, oh, I'm going to be one of your best friends. So get comfortable. <laughs> and I was comfortable to put on that mask. <laughs> really, was. But then I thought he's got the perfect face for radio. So this works really well. So thanks, Rob. That's kind yeah. of you to say. Yeah. Rob, I, re- I appreciate you saying that. Cause like I mentioned, uh, you know, at the beginning of this, that you guys are um, amazing practitioners. This isn't just theory. And um, yeah, it's been born out of a lot of work that you've done in the past and, and just kind of where God has, has led you to this point. And um, I think that's great. Um, well, yeah, I mentioned that this is the third of a series of three. Um, could one of you guys just kind of hit the first two that we did? And, and for those of you who have not seen the first two, Brooke's going to put the, the links for, for those two videos in the chat so that you can uh, capture those and, and go back and watch those. Uh, watch them again if you've seen them before or uh, if you're seeing this one for the first time, you definitely want to catch those other two. But can, uh, can you guys just, just briefly touch on what, what we hit on on those two? Yeah, I'll hit the last one real quick and then Brian can do the first one. Uh, the last one we talked about, you know, going beyond uh, leadership development. And every church needs a, what we call a leadership pipeline. And a lot of time and energy has been given to that in recent years. The challenge is a lot of leadership pipelines start with a wide funnel and they get down to a very narrow end, which typically either goes to like a volunteer role in a program or like a worship leader or a church planter or some kind of staff person. And, uh, and what happens is a lot of times we start focusing on uh, building skills or capacity for those jobs. And we're not really kicking out people at the end who have the character of Christ per se, or maybe have developed the spiritual rhythms of Jesus. Um, and we've inadvertently kind of blocked the majority of God's people that have seen themselves as leaders. Uh, because if you don't fit into one of these predetermined slots at the end of our leadership pipeline, I guess you're not a leader then. That's the no one means for that to happen, but that's kind of the implicit message in that system, which has become normal for a leadership pipeline. What we looked at yesterday is how do you create a culture where every or rather two weeks ago is how do you create a culture where everybody reaches their maximum influence? And that happens first and foremost by creating a disciple making culture because leadership is the fruit of disciple making. And, and we looked at how to create these intentional disciple making environments where everybody's discovering their calling. So actually your, your funnel is like going out into every corner of culture, every sphere of society, activating people's disciple makers and leaders there. Um, and intentional disciple making environments are like these relational environments where people are learning how to be disciples who can make disciples. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was our last get together. Brian, you can cover the first one. Yeah. And on the first one, we talked about how do you go beyond just having more volunteers or go beyond having enough volunteers, that which is usually a struggle to um, how can you actually posture yourself to be someone who helps create more uh, masterpieces? You know, Ephesians 2.10, everybody is, is a masterpiece. They were given a unique set of responsibilities that Jesus has for them, even be before they were made even before they were born. And if we, if that's the trajectory, volunteerism can be a great training spot along the way toward that. In fact, you get much more enthusiastic, bought in and, uh, and willing to serve volunteers if they know that's a part of a bigger process for them instead of kind of using them to accomplish our purposes. So go beyond volunteers and more, you know, just enough volunteers go beyond just developing leadership competencies to developing spiritual influencers uh, to today. Right. And, and so today, now in this third session, we're talking about go beyond communicating vision. And, you know, I, I, this, I don't know that this could be more timely, you know, as, as we're coming out of this uh, uh, pandemic and, and, you know, churches or leaders are trying to figure out what vision do we cast? What is, you know, is vision reshaped? And, you know, how do we, how do we communicate a, a clear and compelling vision for our church's future? And so this is on, it's got to be on just about every church leader's mind. Um, but 
what you guys are talking about is something significantly different uh, than I think what we normally think of when we talk about um, talk about communicating visions. So, Rob, maybe you know, share with us uh, what's sort of the standard protocol for communicating vision for the church. So, let's kind of set that and then contrast that with what you guys are talking about. Okay, I do want to say up top, it's a both and. Uh, it's not a either or. Any leader um, has a responsibility in terms of clarifying the future, the vision. Um, but what we're talking about is kind of like a double click into communicating vision. We typically think about it at just this kind of initial surface level, and we want to sort of drop down to another level. And the initial layer of vision, this is something that we've learned a lot about in the last 30 years, the leadership movement with guys like Maxwell and um, leadership summit and right on down the line, a church leader or a small team of leaders typically kind of go up the mountain, quote unquote, and, uh, receive a vision for their congregation or their church for the people. And then we come back and we begin to strategize like, okay, how do we pick the right language for this vision or maybe the right metaphors for this vision? How are we going to communicate this vision to the different concentric circles of people in our church? Um, you know, you get to have the meeting before the meeting, you don't just roll out the vision cold start, you know, these are all important leadership lessons. Uh, and if you don't honor those, you're going to have, you're going to have some things blow up in your face. I like to call it the Mount Sinai approach. So it's a bit like Moses. We're going up the mountain and we're going to come back down and we're going to share it with the people. And I think there is a time and place for those moments. Um, you know, you look at God's people throughout history and there are moments where leaders articulate vision, like possess the land through Joshua, like let my people go through Moses, you know, build the wall, Nehemiah. I mean, you can summarize a lot of people's lives through two or three words, the vision God gave them to communicate. Um, but we also now need to remember where we're at though, in the new Testament story. Uh, if you notice all those examples are actually old covenant examples. And now we need to move into this more, not so much a Mount Sinai approach, but a Pentecost approach. And the flames are settling on everybody's head, not just the 12. And everybody's received the Holy Spirit and not like a junior varsity version of the Holy Spirit. Everyone's got the same Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is now giving gifts and visions and callings and dreams and visions to young and old, men and women, like slave and free, you know, Jew and Gentile, like these images are profound. Like for God's people go, God's giving that stuff to everybody now? Like not just to like the high priest or to David or we're all getting this? The answer is yes. We're a nation of priests. That's who we are. So going beyond communicating, uh, communicating vision means uh, we need to activate the dreams and visions the Holy Spirit is giving all of his people within our influence. So the first Reformation was about putting the Bible back into people's hands. The current Reformation is actually about putting mission and vision back into people's hands. And the people of God can no longer just be treated like consumers of a vision we're offering them or volunteers in a vision that we're offering them. We need to create mobilization pathways that are about everyone becoming a co-creator and a co-owner who's had God's vision for their life activated and so that's what we're getting at. Like, how do we, yes, here's a corporate vision where we're all better together, but then we need to activate the vision that's in the heart of every single child of God. Uh, that's good. But I, I'm wondering, as you're saying that, though, you know, it's exciting to everybody. And, and we realize there'll never be, you, you talk about the end of Ephesians 1, to fill all in all, there'll never be enough vocational pastors to do that. So we know it it, it includes empowering the priesthood of all believers, but how do you how do you navigate a thousand individual visions? I mean, that sounds like it could be, you know, fairly chaotic. What? Uh, how do you how do you navigate that? Brian, why don't you lead in on that one, man? Yeah, first, I'm just I've got to get over how well you said all that, Rob. I really am just kind of stuck going. You are a brilliant framer. Let me just take a Thank moment you. and appreciate and brag on you. The juxtaposing, juxtaposing, there we go, juxtaposing Sinai to Pentecost and and the, the new reformations. That's just, those are such helpful handles. Thank you for that. That's really, really good. Um, 
Bill, let me let me come at it this way. Would you rather try to stimulate activity or deal with the problems of a whole bunch of people highly motivated to accomplish, you know, Jesus stuff? Like, let me just start at the base. Like, which problem do you want? I've I've come to believe that leadership truly is the art of picking which problems you want to deal with. And if our desire, I mean, anyway, so I understand the question. Like, as soon as you get people all excited about mission, well, are they going to expect you to do it all? That's a real problem. And that's a real concern. But I would rather have that problem than a bunch of immobile and disinterested uh, people that are basically just kind of pushing this whole thing off to the side. Um, here's what I found. Here, here's something that I said uh, a number of years ago, back in late 2010. The picture, the, 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 the language that Jesus gave me to use at the time was, I hope that our church becomes a church whose people are so active with the presence of the Spirit in their lives, developing not just character, helping them become sound, solid, trustworthy people, but also developing their calling not just the fruit of the spirit, but the gifts of the spirit. And they're recognizing that Ephesians 2.10 masterpiece. And Jesus has given them a picture of how to best steward their life. You know, Psalm 139, I know the days I have for you. And now they can start to see those days because they've attached the top two gifts they have with the area of passion that they've been giving. And they can see how they can make a difference with who's got, who God has made them. And, and the way I told him, I was like, it would be so awesome to be a part of a church who um, I didn't even know what these people were doing until I read about it in the paper and they attributed it to something that they learned from our church. Like, what's a bigger vision, better vision than that? And here's what I found. We, we set about creating these IDEs, as Rob talked about early on. We're, we're about helping people develop character and calling from beginning to end. If you're at the beginning of your spiritual formation, we're just inspiring you about what Jesus wants to do in your life. As you hit the develop phase, you're taking up your cross, you're following Jesus, you're becoming less like you and more like Jesus. Everybody around you is saying, that's a noticeable improvement. Keep going. I like you more. People like you more. And by the way, you're newly energized because of this calling. You have this new passion. You're bringing those gifts to bear at work. You're bringing those gifts to bear. And then in our neighborhood and our networks, you're bringing those gifts to bear everywhere. You start to use all that stuff. These people are more and more fully alive. They don't, I mean, and we've done that, as Rob said, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Very few, if any of them have said, can I put this in the bulletin? Very few. Very few. One group of people, and they were, they were older. Were the, uh, and I'm not saying that older people are less competent. I'm just saying they were used to Thank the you. thing that if I got Thank excited you for that about clarification. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in that category now, but they were a part of that tradition where if you had a great idea, you took it to the church, and the church put it in the bulletin, and we all did the coat drive that the deacons had a great idea for, right? Um, but the more you start to train people in this process that's both character and calling, the less they see the church as the avenue that's responsible for it because they see that they are the church Amen. and Come they've on. got their creativity. We, we, we disciple them in this, you know, one-on-one with God, one-on-three, one-on-twelve, and they solicit the people that are in their groups, not the church, to partner with them and actually going out and getting these things done. And we just sit back here going, love the stories, keep going. So I, I the way I would answer your question, like, what about the chaos this would create? It's like, blessed chaos, <laughs> blessed chaos. And if you disciple in a way that kind of has those type of guidelines built in, they're not going to come bugging you. And if they are, what a great opportunity. What I always told our ministry pastor was, uh, you know, it's kind of fun for me to be able to force you into this thing where you get, get to vet ministries to see whether or not the church wants to bring them on as a church sponsored thing or a church supported thing. It's like create categories. This is one where we just cheerlead you. This is where we might minimally support you. Mm -hmm. uh, this is one where we might actually make you an official ministry of the church. So you get to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. What a problem to solve. 
Well, you, following up on that, you, if a church moved into this posture, and so you're you're now um, helping people live into the vision that God's given them for what um, it seems like, then the church starts to move into you know a, a more of a coaching, equipping kind of um, totally kind of role. I mean, totally, which I think is Ephesians four. Exactly, <laughs> it's where we were supposed to be anyway. <laughs> But it is, it is a huge paradigm shift. Most people are used to thinking like ministry equals program or ministry equals clergy rather than ministry equals all of life. And you could take ministry and mission and swap those words out. So the paradigm shift really does start with the leadership of the church. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Bob Buford has given us the analogy of Home Depot, which is brilliant because they basically said, listen, you can build it. We can help. And if a church leader can begin to embrace, okay, my role is to begin to communicate, you can build this. Like God's spirit, his gifts are in you. There's a dream or vision he's placed in you. And we've talked, uh, you know, in the first seminar, like you have some kind of calling discovery process. Uh, We have one that's built around the analogy of GPS, gifts, passion, story. If people want to learn more about that, they can go to giftspassionstory.com. It's a free assessment. You can use it for free. Um, we eventually created an online platform so that we could send out the assessments, get everyone results back. So, cause we want to be coaching and equipping. We can't do that if they just have the results, you know, and start a process of coaching people, you know, where, uh, like I wouldn't encourage a pastor, like try to roll this out with your whole church. Like, Hey, you know what? Find that five to 10% that, you know, they want this. And you already know who those people are in your congregation. Take them through GPS, read, find your place together. And then you start a coaching relationship with them where you're meeting with them regularly as their coach, as their equipper. And then you start platforming their stories because now you're not telling stories about ministry that's program focused or volunteer centric or about recruiting. You're telling stories that are about all of life focused. They're calling centric and it's about sending And the more you start platforming those stories as you're coaching that small group of people, other people are going to say, how do I get in on that? Because it's so inspiring. And the role of the church, like if someone just starts with that approach, you are becoming Home Depot then. So you don't have to reboot everything, Um, but start small and then keep reproducing, you know? And eventually if you had like three or four cohorts like that, let's say over two and a half, three years, you're literally creating a new culture. Yeah. You know, and, and it, and then you can do, uh, you know, maybe some bigger, more tremendous shifts where it's like, okay, we're going to change our budget now. Like we're going to have X thousands of dollars that are grants to help these new missionaries as they're doing their startup and people can come and apply for grants. You don't have to start out with a huge amount of money. You just start out with like, hey, we'll start out with this amount. But then over years, you're like funding more of what's going on actually in every corner of culture. And like Brian said, there may be a few of those. Like that happened at Granger Community Church. Uh, There was two women. They were called to actually um, serve children in at-risk settings. They discovered it on a short-term mission trip to Chicago, came back, met with me and another friend of mine, Dan. They're like, hey, the church should be doing this. And and Dan and I were like, you're absolutely right. And who's the church? Who did Jesus talk to about it? They're like, oh, you mean us? (laughs) Yeah. Like, what would it look like if you just got started? Like, what? Just brainstorming. They're like, well, I guess we should talk to the, you know, head of the urban housing department. It's a great idea. Why don't you do that? We'll pray for you. Let's give you, we'll give you a couple coaching tips on how not to go in, you know, and how to go and go and ask questions. Be curious. Don't make a bunch of overpromised statements about what you're going to do in the projects, like ask permission. And the lady came back and, and uh, told the girls in that first meeting, churches come down here all the time and they give away T-shirts and toys and they count noses and get kids to say the prayer and then they never come back. Hmm. And our kids have enough problems with abandonment without the church adding to it. That's literally what she said to them. Wow. And they're like, but she's like, if you're serious and you're going to be here every week, and you're going to be here for a long time, you can start in Monroe Circle Community Center. And they said, we are, man. And she's like, okay, you can't tell them about Jesus yet. You have to focus on life skills. And she's like, yes, ma'am, we'll do that. 
Long story short, jump forward about two years later, they're mentoring like a hundred and something kids in Monroe Circle Community Center. And they've like, these two women recruited a small army of their friends. And eventually it was like had after school tutoring and there was a basketball league and a baseball league. And about two years in, we were like, hey, this could be a ministry of Granger Community Church because basically everybody who's already leading this is a part of Granger Community Church, you know? And so it became Sun City Kids. And it was awesome. It was like our people led us into mission and we were able to get behind a grassroots thing that was clearly empowered by the Holy Spirit. Like what pastor wouldn't want to get behind something like that when you see that level of favor on it? You know what I mean? Yeah. I love it. You guys, uh, you know, know a bit of my story about um, uh, season of prodigal, uh, I guess, where I met a lot of people who had never come to church, come to the prevailing model of the church. Um, I have neighbors here that would not um, come to church. And so sort of the, the, you know, the parallel passion, I guess you could say to that is how do we empower people to, you know, to really reach out into every nook and cranny of society. But, you know, so I, you know, I get that and I understand that, but what do you say to somebody who's not sure it's a biblical vision? Cause we don't, we don't want, we don't want them moving in this direction because, you know, Brian and Rob said, do you need to go this? And they're really cool. And so you got to go this, you got to follow what they're saying. What, what would you say? I mean, what, what's the, what's the biblical vision? What's, you know, how do you, is this, is this rooted in scripture? Well, first of all, uh, neither one of us have been cool in a really, really long time. So um, anybody that has, buys a helmet like that, you're, you're definitely, I didn't buy it. my daughter, my daughter bought it. So if it's okay. cool, it's cool by proxy. You got a cool daughter. There. Oh no, he has fiber. That's horrible. <laughs> that's about as that's about as cool as I get right there. Just <laughs> okay, consistent. I, I, you know? I take back. <laughs> I take back what I said about cool. <laughs> Listen, you know, for us, not to sound like a broken record, but you know, Ephesians is such a uh, clear blueprint for God's original design for the church. You know, in Ephesians 1 is this vision of gospel saturation. You shared it already, you know, verses 22 and 23. Jesus is filling everything every way, but it says we, his body, are the fullness of him who fills everything every way. And so God is seeking to fill the earth with his presence through his people. And as God's people, we get to join Jesus. Like we manifest his fullness and that means love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all the different dimensions of shalom. And it has to happen through, you know, like what we call a gospel presence, like ordinary people being the presence of good news in every corner of culture, every sphere of society. And so that is getting to a very important question that every church leader needs to ask. Like, what is the end zone of my vision? What's the end zone of my mobilization pathway? Yeah. And is it actually in alignment with Ephesians chapter one? Is it actually in alignment with gospel saturation in my city? And if most of my mobilization is just kind of ending up in programs inside of the organized church, even though those are good and it isn't really primarily about filling everything every way in our city with the fullness of Jesus, that then that's really the, like I would make a biblical argument, like our current standard operating procedure for mobilization is actually pretty broken. Because hmm. a, a lot of these, a lot of the pathways we're setting up, it's like, hey, we need to run the programs of the church every week. So we're going to get volunteers to be in the programs and because we want to touch people. But it's like, yeah, but we're still inside one building in one location for a few hours. Bill, you know what it's like when you're out working in your yard and you've got the hose and you've cranked the water all the way up because you want maximum pressure, but you're pulling it get to get further to the other side of the house and it cinches and the water flow is cut off. You might get a little trickle there, but there's somewhere that you know that that hose is cinched and it's not letting the flow come through. That's the image I always get every time we talk about this. And Rob's just talking about how we've kind of, we've just kind of through our system saying it all, the vision can be this big. Yeah. It's it's like taking that hose and just cinching it off saying and that's why that's the reason we're saying go beyond 
the vision, just a local vision and allow that vision to be, to point people to this much broader end zone that Rob's talking about this, this, this end zone that Jesus has. I mean, I think I've got a pretty large vision for disciples made as a whole. I mean, our vision is to see, to help catalyze 50 movements of disciple making in 50 cities uh, by 2040, by the time I'm 73, it's kind of the the picture that we have. And we know mathematically that that'll result in just over a million people who have been radically transformed in character and calling. But that's just a million people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge vision. I wouldn't consider myself a natural visionary. I'm imagining most people on this call, when they hear Rob talk about going up the mountain, getting the vision and coming back down, they might think, yeah, people like Rob can do that but I can't do that. I just take whatever vision comes from the latest conference I just went to and try to contextualize that somehow. But even that is so, so dramatically short. If we haven't invited people to see Jesus end zone for this thing called his mission, which is literally everything in every way. And so that's, what's so compelling to me. I had to use that since the hose off thing there, Rob, it's, yeah, we don't want to cinch it off inside of the building of our church, you know? Yep. Like, and that gets to Ephesians 2. You know, how exactly is that supposed to happen? Well, yep. the Holy Spirit is, you know, gifting and calling every single person with it. It says a set body of good works. And actually, in the original language, it's talking about a vocation. Like, Here's a set body, not like, hey, you're just going to do some nice things. Like there's a set body of good works that God wants you to walk in. Like you're going to walk in this, what we call calling zone. And we call it also your masterpiece mission because the body there, it's definitely a communal identity. It's not about individualism. He's saying the body's a masterpiece, but Jesus is a master craftsman. So every part of the masterpiece is also a masterpiece. Like your part is just what he wanted it to be. He didn't mess up on you. You didn't go, hey, I didn't get the papers on this one. Who's Where'd this one come from? Like every single one of you who are listening to this today and every single person in your congregation is loved fully and uniquely by Jesus hmm. and is literally handcrafted by him. And as pastors, you know, what we will give an account of, you know, is Ephesians 4. Did we equip these people for the works of service? And what's the context for the works of service? Yeah. Which chapter came first? We're talking about Ephesians 2, right? The set body of good works. We're supposed to equip those people for those works of service. And man, if we don't get to that business, like, I don't want to get, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be the wood, hay, and stubble guy, man. I know a bunch of my stuff in my life is going to be wood, hay, and stubble already. I know that. But like, I want as much gold and silver stuff where God's going, good job. Like, you really did give your life for others to equip them, Hmm. you know. Hey, we had a, a question come in that I want to get to, and, and I want to encourage you, if you're watching the webinar and you have a question, please put it in the chat and Brooks will get it to us. And I uh, would love to get your questions answered. But this question, I think, actually touches on a question that came to my mind, Rob, when we were talking about the, the casting, you know, the down from the mountain vision and, and then all the individual vi- visions. And you made the comment that it's both and. Uh, the question is, uh, I understand empowering everyone to use their spirit given gifts and visions, especially in the coat drive analogy. But how does this play out when you're re-envisioning the entire congregation, building, worship, et cetera? So maybe talk to a little bit about, you, you said it's both and, but what, how do, talk a little bit more about that. How do those, how do you merge those? Yeah, well, I do want to tag team this one with Brian. Uh, I think there is, um, there's some organizational shifts you have to be, begin to make um, and then there's sort of a ground war. Um, so organizationally, um, we have to take, you know, the whole book of Ephesians, of course, and the whole New Testament and the whole Old Testament, but very seriously. Like, so for us, it'd be like, okay, Ephesians 4 gives us a leadership matrix mm-hmm. for equipping. And there's five voices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. How are we going to equip those five voices? How, how will all five voices be heard? A lot of churches are only looking at one or two of those and just kind of ignore the other ones because either their, their denominational history or the gifts and the passion of the pastor. 
you know, well, think about your body. You have nine systems. If two thirds or three fourths of them are offline, how are you going to be doing? <laughs> You're going to be in the hospital or dead, you know, and that's why a lot of churches are sick because we're focusing on one or two of those and we kind of ignore the rest. So you have to actually like, and I've done this, like, okay, I'm going to build my team then around five voices. Um, and we, and then even at the kind of your executive team, like, let's see what our footprint is with those five things. And are we actually hearing all five voices as we're making decisions, you know? Um, so there's kind of a staffing change. Secondly, is uh, beginning to move your staff on that journey from like being doers to equippers and multipliers, you know, and there's a great book called ready, set, grow that, I mean, we've, I don't know how many copies of that we've sold. <laughs> like it, it really would help if you're a staff person thinking about how do I make that transition? It's a great kind of uh, multi-year process of helping people begin to create a culture of equipping. Of course, the starfish and the spirit we wrote for that reason too. Like how do you create a culture of what we call decentralized leadership or equipping culture? So it's like it get sort of a staffing framework. Then we have to go from like a recruiting and doing culture to an equipping and sending culture. And there's a lot of great resources for that. But Brian, why don't you talk a little bit about the, the uh, and let me add one more thing. Another thing too is like think about how you're using your platform and your and your microphone, you know. Um, so begin to do weekend series that are moving you towards this vision of gospel saturation, that are creating catalytic conversations, um, and uh, and even be very careful about the kind of language you're using. You know, like if your if your sanctuary is called the worship center like decide not to call it the worship center anymore because worship is not about a place that we come to in a building as a center a few hours a week. Worship is about your entire life. Like start auditing your language. If you find yourself like, Hey, invite a friend to church to come to church with you. It's like, we can't say come to church anymore because now we're radically reducing church to an event and a building an hour a week. Like if you start doing it at that, like leadership level and systems level and language level, you start changing the culture, but you have to have a ground war. And I'm going to hand it off to Brian for that. But just, just before you do, just before you get to the ground war there, I, I want to clarify something. You're So you're talking about this, this uh, the vision that we normally think of a, a, a pastor in a prevailing church having, and then all the you know individual people. You're talking about overlaying that so that the pastor's vision now is a church of the individual visions. Yeah, absolutely. Whip and guide them. It's not, he, he doesn't have, he or she doesn't have something out over here. That's totally different. You're talking about overlaying that to, to equip and empower people. Yeah. And by the way, we created, it's basically an eight week journey. It's called the made for more resource kit. We literally designed that. So you could walk through it with your staff and your elders to frame this whole conversation. And you end up with an action learning plan to make the organizational transition. Yeah. So I, and that's free. Yeah. In fact, Brooks, if you could put the, the link to, to that kit in the chat too, that'd be great. So and we've had hundreds of churches use that and the feedback we get is pretty amazing. That next one's in June, right? It starts yeah. in June. Well, we're also going to do, this is actually an additional offering. We're going to do a six week coaching uh, made for more coaching. Um, and we're going to limit it to 15 churches. Oh, that's right. It is a kid. You know, so that's something that um, if you're interested in, you could, but the made for more resource kit, you can just run it. Like yeah. it's everything you need is in there. Like there's 20 something videos and there's huddle guides for every gathering and what to do between the gatherings. And yeah, it, it just to let people know um, we're doing a major summit online on Wednesday. That's free to join. And if and you'll see the opportunity to join the the fifteen person cohort that uh, that Rob mentioned, and uh, and actually if you get the um, the digital digital access pass to all the videos at that summit, that you you actually save that that amount on uh, on that uh, course that Rob's talking about, which is yeah, I mean it really That's is cool. I didn't know oh, you guys were doing that. It Where'd is it yeah, 
Yeah, it is. I, yeah, it is really cool. You know, we want to see people. We want to see people get into that. And uh, so, and Rob will actually be doing a, a whole track in that reset summit too. So, um, nice. yeah, it was good. I'm actually glad you reminded me about telling people that. So, Brian, I do want to come back to you in you know in this idea of. Um, you know, what, how would you address that kind of that question? And, and what, what was the phrase you used, Rob, that, uh, ground war, you got, war, you know, yeah, you got the air war. Yeah. Come at it from the ground war. Yeah. So her, the, the question from this person was, uh, I pulled it, just pulled it up. How does this play out when you are re-envisioning the entire congregation building worship, etc.? So if you're helping your people develop character and calling, all right, character is perfect for whatever environment they end up being most activated into. Calling usually gives them the clues as to where they're going to be activated into. And so far, we've been talking about ways people get activated or mobilized into mission that are, you know, coat drive-ish or going into some type of society and making a difference, whether that's trafficking, education, whatever it is, things that fit that. We would love to read about that in the newspaper someday. All right. That's the vision we talked about a while back. But what we haven't really talked about is the significant percentage of these people that see that calling within the walls of the local congregation. There are worship leaders that move in their faith and their ability to influence. They could become worship leaders. They could become production managers. They could be all kinds of a number of different things. You've got people in your kids' ministry that are serving that if you started to disciple them in the way that disciples both character and calling, you might find out that they would be not just really good at a table leader, but being a great teacher or a worship leader for the kids or a, a coach to all of the teachers. Or, I mean, you don't even know the lid of these people. The, the beauty, here's the way we talk about it. The spirit has already written the story of where he wants them to be. That's a part of that Ephesians 2.10 masterpiece, right? We also believe that he's pretty smart about what he needs to accomplish through the people that he's placed in those particular environments. If we're smart, we'll leverage his smarts by helping people become dependent upon on him and allowing them to follow him into that ideal role instead of us kind of owning that responsibility and trying to allocate and motivate people to certain slots. If he is the master architect and if he has those things already appointed, we help people discover that calling and we trust him to mobilize those people into that place of calling that he has for them. Oftentimes, that's within the walls of the church. And it's going to be more than enough for what the church needs because you're raising up more and more powerful leaders uh, and significant and humble and trustworthy uh, leaders to actually carry out these ministries. So it, it seems like then one of the one of the significant paradigm shifts is is moving from being focused on the programs and how do we how do we bring people into that? to being focused on the people and what God's calling them to do and where yes. that fits, pro, you know, where they might, they might fit into a program. They might fit into, uh, or you might start a program as part of the church, but then they may do a whole bunch of other things that are uh, beyond the, the scope of the church. Is that kind of the paradigm shift? Yeah. You're talking well, about? Let me give you a real practical example. You know, we developed something called missionaries made and we believe that a missionary identity needs to be activated in every single child of God, because our God is a missionary God. Mission isn't something extrinsic to who our God is. It's, it's intrinsic. Like when Jesus gets up and, and reads the scroll of Isaiah, it's not like he's reading some like organizational mission statement. <laughs> it's like, he's literally bleeding like freedom for the captive, you know <laughs> Sight for the blind, the year of Jubilee. Like it's just, and that's what, that's the identity God wants activated in us. Like, yes, Lord, like your mission is my mission and the restoration of all things. Well, people just don't get that in a weekend sermon. Yeah. Like it, they can get inspired. So missionaries made is a multi-month journey about returning deeply to that true identity as a missionary and then it's very practical equipment. So 
what activates a missionary identity? The gospel. So we do four months of gospel fluency training where every single week you're doing gospel fluency journaling and sharing it with your triad within this larger group. If you learn to practice to speak the gospel to your own identity and your own idolatry and your own needs for four months, guess what you're going to know how to do for other people? Like now when you're sharing the gospel, you're not just trying to do a four point presentation anymore. You're listening to your neighbor going, oh, I see what their idolatry is. And I see where they're mixed up on their identity. I know how to bring good news to them. Because so missionaries made, you're learning gospel fluency. And then we're teaching you missionary rhythms, begin in prayer. But not just, hey, you should pray. We're going to give you tools to show you how to listen in prayer and then how to contend and pray for people. And same thing, listen and engage. Well, how am I supposed to listen? Well, we'll show you. Here's a tool on like, six open-ended questions you ought to ask. And it's, we call it the H's like hope hurts, you know, heart passions, history. And we give you these little open-ended questions. So as a missionary, you're ready to have an awesome question, like an awesome conversation with somebody by asking one or two really good open-ended questions. We go through all the blessed rhythms that way. If you're doing that kind of air war where you are doing the right sermon series and you are redeploying your staff and you are creating an equipping culture. And then you have these IDEs like missionaries made running like yeast in the dough. You keep that up for three years. You're going to have a very different church. Cause what happens is people start living like missionaries because they're finding their true identity in Christ and they're discovering. And then we also have our calling assessment, which is baked into missionaries made. So they're discovering like, who am I sent to? How am I gifted? You know, and then we ended up creating a thing called microchurch learning community because people actually live like missionaries and made disciples. And they're like, what do I do with this new group of people? (laughs) Well, we wanted them to know how to actually lead that into a simple form of church where the larger congregation and that larger organized church can be a hub to support the missionaries and the microchurches, you know. So when we're saying ground war, what Brian's getting into is you got to do that kind of really deeply personal investment and, and, and in the way Jesus did it, like Jesus didn't per se organize a lot of programs, but he did have 12. He did have a triad. He did have 72 and he poured his life into them. And like, if a church has all these programs and you don't have any of those intentional discipling environments, like where do people find the 12 and the three and they get the long-term equipping like Jesus did, like every church, I think COVID revealed, like, if you don't have that, then you really don't have that much. Yeah. Yeah. Brent, talk a little bit more about that. You know, when you've worked with tons of churches that have begun to make this shift. And I know for a lot of people, this is, this sounds pretty overwhelming. I mean, you're, you're, you're pressing into territory that um, that's new you know, uh, and, and certainly radically different from the prevailing model of the church. You know, you're, you're talking to me as a church leader now to live into the messiness of, of many, many individual visions and empower and equip. And I, you know, I've got this. What are, what are some things that you've learned or maybe advice that you would give a church that, that says, hey, I see, I read in Ephesians. I do believe this is the direction we need to go. And, and I believe God's leading us. What, what would you say to somebody that's moving in that direction? Well, the first thing I would say is you're about to embark on one of the most fulfilling things you've ever done. <clears throat> I mean, I honestly can't even imagine my life without the last 10 years. Hmm. So that's how I would start. Um, I love what you said, Bill. I really love, and I, and I wanted to emphasize, wanted to make sure that we were able, I was able to emphasize this before we got off the call. You said, so it's less about programs and more about people. Like that's where this becomes so fun. And, and most pastors or people, uh, leaders on the call are probably saying, well, the programs are for the people. And I would say, yes, that's true. Um, but what I really loved about what you were saying is our programs, if they're not for empowering the people to make these categorical shifts, are just programs that give them the next drip of whatever we need to kind of keep them coming instead of growing and going, whether they go and help us go further or they go help another ministry go further or whatever it is. I just, I love that thing. And 
So that's the first thing I would say is you're about to embark on one of the most thrilling, exciting things that you're going to do because that, that vision that we're talking about, like if you came down from on Sinai and gave the vision, that's a vision you know a lot about. It's a vision you're going to work hard to help realize. But in this vision of sharing Jesus' vision, which you don't even know yet because they don't even know what their visions are yet. It's a process of discovery that is joy-filling and family-changing and legacy-changing type of stuff. Like when you watch people that you're discipling catch a vision for, I'll give you an example of one of, one of the guys that I discipled. I have a vision of seeing to the employment and healthy long-term employment of over 100,000 people that are on the autism scale currently. And you sit back and go, well, dang, all I wanted you to do is be a good small group leader. Like, that's unbelievable. I know I had a very small part in helping 100,000 people on the autism scale and now wounded warriors and other, like, ministries that are happening because of changes of legislation at the state level because of this person's influence, I get to know I played a little bitty part in that. I couldn't have come up with that vision, but it was there. So that would be the first thing I would say. The second thing is if you're overwhelmed, and this might be the most important thing that this guy will say on this call, if you're overwhelmed, don't let that be an excuse to just not engage. Hmm. When you get to the point where the picture, they're the vision that Jesus is calling you into is too big for you. That's the moment you get to choose to repent and say, Jesus, I don't know how or what, but I know that if you're putting this as a um, not an optional thing, then I know you're willing to provide the what and the how. And you'll be kind enough to give them to me in the steps that I can manage. And I'm not making this up. This is actually just giving you a commentary on what I did 10 years ago. Because when Jesus told me, you keep taking my multiplication symbol and turning it back into an addition sign and back and forth, I was like, yeah, guilty as charged, but like I got 25 more years. And, you know, and he kept saying, no, this is the hill you'll die on. I said, I don't know how. And for the first time, that didn't feel like failure. Hmm. Instead, it felt like the beginning of a whole new journey of discovery. And I made uh, just a couple of commitments. I said, I commit to asking you what to do next. And when you reveal it, I'll do it. And I'll take notes. And if it works, I'll share it with others. And now we're 13 years later and and able to share this on a grand scale. And so that's where I'd start. It's like, I mean, and then just if, if disciples made something that, that is something that you want to explore, you don't have to do your own skunk works and all this. We have off the shelf things that we have priced for any, for any small church to really jump into. And we're to the kind of ministry that's going to say, if you don't have the funds, we're going to help you figure that out. We're not, we're, we're not here to build a grand business. We're here to, to create a mission a movement of disciple-making people that make disciples that make disciples. So we would just say, grab this IDE or grab any of these other IDEs and just start going to work. Pray for a couple of weeks. Jesus prayed overnight about who to invite into a disciple-making experience. We ought to at least give it a week or two. And when the people that he shows you invite into it, and then just learn what it means to see people walk into their masterpiece mission by actually watching the story unfold. And when you start to watch these stories unfold and you don't have to create the process to do it, we've already done it. We know that it works and we know that it works in hundreds of churches. So as you start to see that, you, you won't really need much coaching. <laughs> you certainly won't need any encouragement because the encouragement is going to come from the stories of the people that you're investing in. And then those stories that they're telling to their friends will actually generate more interest for more of these groups. And you can multiply leaders from within these groups in a way where that just starts to take root. As Rob said earlier, just a little bit of yeast. There's a great big lump of dough. You just start working the yeast. Yeah, into and, the dough. Uh, and it you know, crazy. West Side, where we started these, we had more than uh, is right at a thousand people who had 
been discipled through one of the IDEs without, it was mentioned one time briefly in one weekend service. <laughs> so it, it truly was grassroots, you know, and someone it would ask your bill, like, as we're pursuing this, we're noticing, we're kind of marveling at the time it takes to be a disciple making missionary leader. Can you speak into the typical time given by your disciple making missionary leaders? And, uh, so there's a couple of different layers to this question, you know. One layer is if you look at how Jesus did it, he gave three years of his life to his 12. You know, so when we're talking with church leaders, um, like that's Jesus sets the bar. And so if, if I'm not willing to go the way of Jesus and consider investing three years, and uh, then maybe I need to look at my own heart. And go, what why am I such why am I in such a hurry? Am I afraid I can't do it? Am I afraid that the rest of the church will fall apart or something? If I, I don't know what it is, but I gotta figure that out, you know. And what what happened is for us is we created follow Brian created followers made. Um, and it's been through multiple iterations. Um I included myself a little bit because I helped with some of the later rewrites. <laughs> but he did he did the lion's share of the work. Um, but um, it's a six month journey to help a believer become a disciple maker. So if you're asking like, what's the baseline? That's kind of where we landed. Like it, it takes six months to develop these new habits, to learn how to practice twelve with a triad, and learn to bless rhythms, learn Bible engagement, a prayer, and then missionaries made is another four months. It's like, you know what? We're going to do deeper dive into gospel fluency and bless rhythms, get real clear on what context you're sent to. So you're looking at, you know, just under a year with those. And those are kind of like the entry level ones. You know, you're looking at about 10 or 12 months. And then we've got leaders made. So now you're talking about going from just exploring to influencing, right? Or rather from developing to influencing. Um, and that's 10 months leaders made is. And then microchurch learning community is a full year. So if someone went through all of them, it's about three years, interestingly enough. Um, and we, and so it is, there's no way to microwave disciple makers is what we're saying. Now, what I don't, here's the other thing I want to say. It's sort of a caveat. Um, but there's also no reason to stop the forward advance of the gospel by telling people, you can't do anything out there until you finish the three years. That's not what we're saying. Like you're out there doing the work the whole time. And it's like the woman at the well. Jesus is like, glad she went back into town. The demoniac, go back home. Immediately, share your story. And what we're teaching you in these IDEs is not like, oh, we're going to be like in a little secret huddle for three years before we go do anything. It's like, no, no, you're doing all of it all the way through you know, and you're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and it's a new kind of crazy places you've never been before. So please don't think we're saying like, we have a three-year training before you do anything. That is not what we're saying. Like you're doing stuff immediately out the shoot every week. That's good. Guys, I, I as we kind of come into our, our close here, I want to, I want to highlight a couple of things that you said that I think are really important for, first of all, um, the role of prayer in all the, all of this, you know, uh, too often, you know, we assume that in, and, and so we, we tend to skip over it. And I know that's a, a huge part of this, of this whole process. Um, and, and just, you know, if you're a pastor and you're feeling like, you know, the Holy Spirit's kind of tugging at your heart and this is the direction you need to go, man, spend a lot of time in prayer. The other thing that you mentioned, Brian, that I think is, is important is this idea of repentance. If, if we're, you know, I grew up in a tribe where repentance was a bad thing. It meant you backslid. You know, and I've, I've come to realize that repentance is a way forward. It, mm -hmm. and, and so it, it seems like if you're having a paradigm shift that repentance, you know, not not, you know, just repentance for, you know, sometimes there's a repentance for ignorance. God, I didn't know that about you or, you know, repentance for disbelief. God, I, I knew that about you, but I didn't. I chose not to live into that. And, and so I think, yeah, I appreciate you mentioning both those. I, I think those are, are significant. And, and if any of you 
if you've got more questions or, you know, you can go to their website and request a, a 30 minute discovery call and go a little bit deeper in some of the tools that, that we've talked about here. And I would, would invite you to do that. You know, I really, be, I believe in these guys. I believe personally in these guys. And so um, it was an honor uh, to work with you guys on these, these three webinars. Um, and uh, Thank really you, Bill. Thanks that. for being uh, our, our cookie monster. Yeah. I call Bill cookie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. name I was given a while back, but uh, uh, thank you, Alan. Uh, but yeah, and, and uh, a good reminder of the Reset uh, Summit. The Reset Summit, it's a free, it, it's, it will be an amazing event. And, and I, there are like well over 6,000 people already signed up for it um, on Wednesday. And Rob will be teaching, uh, be leading a whole track in that. And one of the videos will be from him, but he'll be doing Q&A and all of the tracks on mobilization. And so you don't want to miss that too. So guys, I, I almost... I'm sorry to end, you know, because we don't have another one scheduled. You know, this is like the third one. And we've always had one to look forward to the last few weeks. But uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for your commitment to to Jesus and to to really following after his heart and, and uh, how God's led you in this. Thank you, brother. We love this friendship and partnership with Exponential. We're so grateful for the message and the voice of Exponential pointing all of God's people um, back to the original message of mission and multiplication. And I'm grateful. Yeah. And thank you for joining us. God has called each one of you to a masterpiece mission and uh, live into that, help others live into that. Nothing more exciting. Thanks, Bill.